0: of you who don't know what we're gonna do is tonight we're gonna do a Q&A um, we'll have a chat about some stuff um, Shady and I initially kind of thought of questions to ask each other but as we asked you guys to submit your questions we thought they were really good so we're gonna pretty much ask each other your questions um, but before we do that uh, yeah Shads anything to say any announcements
1: Uh, no, not that I can, not that I can think of. It's just good to see all of you guys on here. If you have any friends who are like lagging and you haven't seen them jump on yet, send them the link again, just shoot them a text now, um, and let them know to jump in and we'll add them to the call. But otherwise, yeah, we just want to spend some time tackling, um, some of your questions today. And it's, it's good for you guys to know that these are questions that we've all had before myself and Dave included. Um, and, um, and it'll just be good to, to discuss them because if they're on one person's mind, they're probably on everybody's mind, so um, it'll be good to, to get through some of them, yeah.
0: Cool. Well, let's dive in. So Shad's um, something, a bit of a doozy to begin with. Uh, what's, what's up with hell? Why, why is there such a thing? Is there such a thing? Uh, and if there is, um, why would it exist? We keep talking about a loving God, uh, last week was Easter. Jesus apparently died for everyone on the cross. So what, what the heck is up with hell? Isn't it a bit of a contradiction?
1: Yeah, um, look, a tough question and, and a really good one to start with and dive into. Look, it's um, it's good to start by saying that there's a lot of layers to this one, um, but I'll try to summarize it. And you said, hey, what's, what's the deal with hell? Is it real? And um, really the core of the question is why would a loving God... Um, Create a place like that. And why would a loving God send people to a place like that? Um, and I think a good starting point would be to say, hey, we we think about the gospel, which is the message of Jesus, as the good news. Um, and it's the good news because there is bad news as well. So you can't just have good news. It would just be called news otherwise. There's good news because there's bad news as well. The good news is that there's a way to be saved from the bad news. Jesus is our savior, so he has to be saving us from something. The thing that he's saving us from is the fact that we were all born into opposition from God. God is on this side of the fence, we are on this side of the fence, and that's the thing that's hard for us to understand sometimes, but we live out of that opposition to God. We look at what God is, he is good, he is kind, he is just, he is pure, he is faithful, We as human beings are not those things. And we live out of the opposite of those things. And God is a loving God. And he warns us and he says, hey, this this way that you're on leads to death. You're already separated from me in this life. If you choose to continue to be separated from me in this life, I'm not going to force myself on you. You're going to continue to be separated from me in the next life. Excuse me. That is my phone. It's actually my mental group trying to get on the chat. If somebody could uh, get a hold of them, that would be good. Um, So I think it's important for us to understand that that is the first bit. um, And the second bit is that God is just. God is righteous and God is a judge. But he's the righteous judge. Bro, it's
0: called mute your phone.
1: I did. And I don't know how to turn this bit off. You know why? Because it's an Apple product. (laughs) That's right. Let me, you know what? Give me a second while we can. Um, I'll just um, message them.
0: Well, I'll add while Shadi is messaging people, I think one really helpful way for me to think about uh, this question and to kind of wrestle with, you know, why would a loving God send people to hell is that, and this is something that you could, you know, lots of people have said before, um, God gives dignity to your choice. Um, And in fact, hell is the ultimate dignity to human free will. Um, That if you are so opposed to God, if you are so anti him, want nothing to do with him, well, then he's never going to force you um, to kind of, you know, be in an environment, uh, aka heaven, which is permeated with God's presence. So hell is the place where God is not there. And therefore, uh, you know it's and as for why is hell so horrible, well, it's because it's devoid of the of the one who created all good and good things in life. so if the person who literally brought good out of chaos um, and brought light out of darkness, if you don't want him around, well, what you're left with is a dark place that's chaotic and and that's not an environment where a good life can exist so. Yeah, it's not yeah. so much. Yeah,
1: it's it's important to understand a couple of things about that. Um, heaven is the place, exactly like Dave said, where God is um, and where those who um, love God and choose Him are as well. Um, and that means when you think about who God is, God is life, God is light, God is love, God is justice, God is freedom, God is peace. All of these things, which means that hell. The place where he isn't is literally just the complete opposite of that. Hell is darkness. Hell is joyless. Hell is where death exists. Hell is where there is no justice. Hell is where there is no hope because all of those things are attributes of God. And so what ends up happening there, a few things for us to understand, um, is that We all love justice as a principle. We all say, hey, when somebody does something wrong and we hear that they got what they deserve for that, we go, hey, that was a good thing. That was a right thing. Even if it was harsh, even if it... We go, yep, that's that's what was supposed to happen. You make a mistake and you get what's right that you deserve for it. That's what we actually deserve from God. But we expect mercy from him because he's good, because he's kind, because he's loving. But what we actually deserve from him is justice. And there's a couple of things that the Bible says about hell um, that we should cover off. So Matthew 25 um, from verse 31 says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another like a person separates the sheep from the goats and he'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you closed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he says the same thing to those people on the left and they've done the opposite. And it says in verse 40 that the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or did not do for the least of these, you did or didn't do for me. And then verse 30, 41 says this, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Two really quick important points here. Hell is a real place. Hell is eternal. Hell is was not initially made for us, it was not. Um, was made for the devil and his angels. But it is the place where God is not. And so when we continue to live and choose to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm drowning. You're throwing me a lifeline. I don't want to take it. The natural consequence of that is when you stand before him, exactly like Dave said. God is going to say, I'm not going to force myself on you. I can't um, invade your free will and say, no, you have to love me. You have to accept me. That's just not how salvation works, and so he'll say, "Hey, if this is what you chose, if this is what you want, then this is where you go," and that's the natural consequence of that. So no, God is too loving not to let you have your own choice, and that's um, that's the point. Um, yeah, like I said, complicated answer. There's there's a there's a lot of layers to it. But if anybody wants any more um, sort of clarification around some of that, please call us after or, or have a chat to your leaders, and we'll be more than happy to chat. Through more of that one with you as well. Um, Dave, the next set of questions were um, to do with love and marriage and sex in particular. So, what's the deal with all of that? Um, why would God create something that is obviously so enjoyable and then say, hey, don't do it unless you have this piece of paper kind of thing? What's the deal with
0: it? Yeah, I just want to um, uh, give props to the person who asked this question, particularly when they commented on their own, their own question. I want to know who asked it, but uh, we all, we all enjoyed your question and particularly the whole parentheses thing that you did anyway. Uh, but look, it's a really good question. So I think when it comes to uh, when, when I was in high school, literally the most commonly asked question when I was in high school was, um, you know, why, why do Christians think that you can't have sex before marriage And it was one of those things that, um, you know, it's a bit awkward to talk about, but essentially, um, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe there's a God, if you don't believe that there's like intentionality behind relationship and um, particularly sexual relationship, then you know what? What I'm about to say is you won't care about um, and it will mean nothing to you. But for someone who does believe there is a God, um, and who particularly believes that God not only made humanity, but also made human sexuality. Um, literally Genesis uh, chapter one, chapter two talks about how God made men and women male and female and how he made them to be united as one flesh, you know, um, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father to be united to his his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this whole idea is, God made humans to have sex and to enjoy sex and the 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 confines or the the environment that that is supposed to happen is in that union of marriage the two being one flesh um and uh this this whole idea that it it means that it belongs to God that marriage and sex belongs to, belong to God um means that Therefore, you know, just like if I were to buy a car and the manufacturer tells me only fit you know, it's uh, in my car, the fuel tank it says only fill with 95 or, or higher, like grade fuel. And that's because the manufacturer knows what the engine needs and that I'd stuff up the engine if I would, you know, it's probably still run, probably for a while, but uh, but it's not the best thing for the car. So the idea is, okay. So God made me, God made us, God made men and women, God made our sexuality, God made our desires and our urges. And it's a good thing, but it's the best thing when it's expressed in this particular confine, which is that of one man, one woman uh, under uh, marriage covenant relationship. Um, And so... Um, you know, there's, you know, like, is there biblical evidence for what I'm saying? Well, there's tons, but uh, but there's particularly one passage that I always go back to, and that is uh, um, in the Song of Solomon, chapter eight. Um, there's this poetic refrain that um, the woman gives the man, and she talks about how love is like a raging fire. Um, it's just so powerful, um, and that you can't, like, it's it's just it's extremely like powerful. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a, it's a potentially life giving thing, but it's also a potentially destructive thing. And, um, and the idea is, yeah, love and sexual desire is like a fire. Um, It will eat you alive. It will burn you up um, if it's in the wrong environment. Um, And, but if it's in the right environment, if it's in your fireplace or your stove or campfire, it's a wonderful thing and it provides light and life and food and whatever else uh good stuff here so the idea is humanity has a choice just like with everything we have a choice to do things god's way or to do things our way and you know what god gives you that opportunity you can have sex before marriage you can have sex with multiple people you can uh you know you can do all these kinds of things but The the Christian mentality and, and the biblical worldview is that if I do things on my terms and not on God's terms and I reject God's terms, then it's probably not the best thing for me. And I don't think you have to, I don't think it's like too much of a stretch for us to imagine if you go around and sleep around with a bunch of people or have even just multiple relationships, it's not a hard stretch to imagine how much heartache and hurt. Um, can be caused by something like that so God doesn't want that for for humanity um, God wants us to enjoy the gifts that he's given us and so he tells us here's the user manual here's the instruction manual here's the best way to enjoy this gift that I've given you go at it um, and uh, we get to choose to either do it or not yeah uh, I don't know i'm not sure if that's a good summary or not but um, what do you or do you have a follow-up sheds
1: I have a quick follow up about just marriage in general, but to ask you, uh, but um, the the question is, is marriage just a piece of paper? Like, does it have any actual significance? Because we, we know that from a biblical perspective, it's not so much like, hey, you can't do this. That's a mature way to answer that. Like, you don't just go, hey, I'm not just giving you permission to go around and go ham." but it's an immature question to say, um, can I do this? The, the answer is yes, I can do anything. I can, I can do whatever I want. Mm. But the, the, the right question to ask is, should I do this? Like mm-hmm. is it's something that is honoring to God or not is, and if it's not honoring to God, like you said, it's not going to be good for me. If we described God as being, you know, light and love and joy and you know, passion and hope and all of these things that, we want that actually come from him, um, then pursuing something that is not from him is going to lead to the opposite of those things, no matter how nice it looks on on the outside. So like you talk about the kind of fire in its right place, giving warmth to the house and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that right place is marriage. So is does marriage have any significance other than hey, some guy said a few words and you both said I do and you signed a piece of paper and hey, presto, you're married and that's it. If somebody tears it up, who cares?
0: Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Well, like again, you know, marriage belongs to God and was created by God. Like it's, um, it's part of his creative act when he makes man and woman, uh, he makes the, you know, us. Um, part of it is you guys should unite with each other and, and it's a good thing to do that. Um, And there's, you know, I mean, again, you know, like if you look through the biblical story and you look at what it looks like to have a a good marriage or a godly marriage um, or a a union between a man and a woman that leads to life, because it can lead to death as well. And there's a bunch of stories in the Bible where there's marriages or, or unions between men and women that actually kind of stuff things up. But when it works well... Um, it actually is a picture of what it looks like to um, be human, humanity at its best, to be, you know, what we were created to be, to be Genesis 1, a Garden of Eden humans. Um, and it also then becomes a picture of what it looks like for us to be united with Jesus, what, what it looks like for the church to be united with God. So um, uh, marriage is a very significant a covenantal relationship that um, points to a bunch of really amazing truths. And if uh, those two individuals in that marriage wholly give each other to each other, as well as to God, then it can also lead to a huge amount of good for the world through family and through like, um, you know, sacrificial love to each other that then leads to love towards others. So it's a, it's a huge, huge, powerful Um, union that can be um, that is God intended and and that has lots of potential good Um, yeah what about well I know you're a single young man uh, ladies if you are interested Um, (laughs) but um, uh, you're a single guy so I guess this whole topic of marriage sex all this kind of stuff what's your take on it from from your point of view.
1: The single person's perspective, yeah. Income. Um, I think that God gives good gifts, um, and if we're saying that, um, you know, the Bible talks about a wife or a husband as a, a good gift from when it's from in His will, and when it's um, something pursued in His way, um, is a good gift. It talks about sex as a good gift, and that God is the one who made it. It's not this thing to be, you know, hidden in a box or whatever. I think. Um, the challenge with singleness is believing all those things and accepting all those things. um, And then not um, like choosing to distrust God when he doesn't give them to you straight away or when you want them and you say, Hey, you know, Lord, you can see in my heart that these are things I value and that I treasure and that um, I desire, um, but I don't have them yet. So what's the deal with that God? Have you like, you know, have you forgotten about me? Do you not care? Um, you know, what, how, am I You punishing me? Have I done something wrong for you to not give me this good gift that you've given to so many other people? And so there's this, uh, this struggle to trust God that can often happen in this time when you um, know that these are good things and it just hasn't happened for you yet kind of thing. And so um, that is a temptation that is not from God. Um, and there are a lot of other temptations that come along with that, obviously, you're like, hey, um, you know, you still have those same urges, you still have that same desire, but you are called to exercise self-control over it, um, even before you get married, because the idea is, hey, like, if you won't be content um, with one woman before you get married, you won't be content with one woman after you get married either. So we're called to trust God in this time as well as in that time. And the other part is um, for me not sort of just sitting on my hands and waiting for this to happen as if like the fulfillment of all my hopes and dreams is getting married. There is a way to live a very godly, very effective life without getting married. The Apostle Paul is a great example of that. Jesus is a great example of that, and many others. And so, marriage is not a prerequisite for like, like the perfect life. Like, if you didn't get married, you, you missed out. Yeah, I'm sure that I would miss out on some wonderful things that would happen there. But not from God's point of view did I miss out if I'm actually living in His will according to His purpose. And where I get that from, is Matthew six thirty three. That uh, well, Matthew six in the second half talks about God saying, "Hey." You know, God knows that you need all these things. You need clothes and food and shelter and, and all of these good things and love. Um, and, and he knows and he will provide those for you because he provides them for the birds and you're much more precious than the birds. Um, but then in verse 33, he gives this little, this little disclaimer and he says, hey, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. And so this this thought of waiting until like my life is complete with a partner is not God's way. Um, so it's it's me living in. Um, let me put it this way: all the things that I want from a marriage, um, love, intimacy, closeness, friendship, all of those things that we we love about romance, um, all stem from God. Are all actually just many dim versions of the attributes of God. So I, if I'm pursuing God, I'm pursuing the fullness, the essence of all of those things, of love, of intimacy, of joy, of friendship. Um, and so it's my job to live my life for God as best as I can. Um, and it's up to him to, to, um, to lead me into that or to not lead me into that. But um, I have a job to do in the meantime, and that's exactly what I'm going to do respect mm. um anything to add no single man's perspective
0: well i uh i don't remember what that's like sheds
1: it's <laughs> been a while <laughs> um, no cool so um another set of questions that came up which are very these are all very very valid questions and everybody struggles with different elements of these, but. Um, is the Bible, which is the thing that we're answering all of these questions from, and the thing that you and I have based our entire lives around, is that um, a trustworthy book? Does it have mistakes? Does it have contradictions? Um, how do I know that what I'm reading in it is actually, you know, even if it sounds nice, sure, maybe it's worth believing, but how do I know that it's actually true, that it's actually trustworthy as a book? Sure. Sure.
0: It's a challenging challenging question, because uh, if you want to know the truth, the Bible does have a bunch of, um, uh, and I know that we, we've talked about this before, and you get really nervous when I start talking like this, but uh, the Bible does have um, some, you know, some parts of it that are like, wait, I thought I just read this here, and I thought I read this story somewhere else, and this story is slightly different than the other story. Um, so it has what some people would call discrepancies, um, and so you know when you when it's a, it can be quite a challenging thing when you read the Bible, and if you're paying attention and you notice these things, it can be quite a, a disturbing or cha- challenging thing. I think um, the 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 best way in my mind to look at the Bible is the way that the Bible talks about God and humanity, which is that. It's a partnership that God uh, chooses to partner with human beings um, to bring about his work and and his um, amazing purposes to reality in this world. Um, And the Bible is literally an embodiment of that. It is a partnership between God and humanity. Um, God chooses people and he works throughout history and he entrusts certain people to document and record and write poetry and all these kinds of things, while he inspires them and convicts them to uh, put pen to paper, um, about uh, or you know uh, whatever quill to parchment or, or whatever um, or papyrus, um, but he he inspires them, he inspires them, and but it is it is a dynamic um, uh, work that goes on, and in fact the Bible doesn't shy away at all from um, the fact that it is a, a document that is a work of humanity and the divine uh, in partnership, you will read many sections of the Bible where um, literally, like, the author is is pointed at and says, this guy wrote this. Um, you'll even read many parts of the Bible where uh, the Bible is very clear in saying this this is a rewrite or this is a, you know, a little side note or, you know, a little aside or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, The book of Isaiah, for example. um, uh, So initially written by presumably Isaiah. um, And then, uh, you know, some of the text that's in it is a few hundred years after Isaiah was dead. So clearly not written by Isaiah. Um, uh, And they don't hide away from that. And that's not a secret that that's there. Um, The book of uh, Jeremiah, um, he's got a scribe, Baruch, is his scribe, and uh, they he writes the book. And then, literally halfway through Jeremiah, it says the king burned up uh, the 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 thing that Baruch wrote, the book of Jeremiah. He he tore it up, burned burned it up, and uh, so J- Baruch and Jeremiah sat down again and rewrote it. And this time it was longer. Um, so you know, this is the human fingerprints. i um, all over the Bible. And yet, uh, and if you want to look at the New Testament, I mean, look, Luke is very obvious; like he's very overt about the fact that he went around and he interviewed a bunch of people to write the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Um, so these are these are works that are written by humans, but um, we believe are, are divinely inspired. And how can we believe that? Well, I mean, many many reasons, many 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 reasons. But uh, one key reason is if you want to look at all the discrepancies that are in the Bible, you should also probably look at some of the harmonious points as well. This is a book that was written over millennia, uh, like over thousands of years, by more than 40 different authors. Mm -hmm. And yet it is telling this remarkably coherent, beautiful story that is like, like in terms of literature, in terms of like profound, like, it is a it is an incredible book, um, and it's it's that's a miracle in and of itself. If we tried to all kind of share a story one word at a time, it'd be lucky before the next like the, uh, your dad um, started talking about some weird jokes or whatever else, in there, and we wouldn't get anywhere. So it's incredible that this this text exists. Not only that, but it's incredible that it's, it exists over this period of time. Um, that we have it in the in the version that we have it in and that we can rely on the version that we have it in that the actual text itself is um, that there's no real doubt about its um, uh, like its consistency in terms of the way that it was copied and, and like we can be fairly confident that what we have now is what existed thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. um, and 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 there's a whole conversation to be had there if you're interested. Um, but the not and not only that, but um, the fact that there are so many manuscripts and there are like this over thousands of years, things kind of decay and degrade, and the fact that we have as much as we have of the Bible, um, and the fact that it seems like. Throughout these thousands of years, the people who recognized this as scripture, they all agreed it was scripture like it's not like there was necessarily a gigantic debate about what is the Bible and what isn't and so all of it exists um, over such a remarkable amount of time like this is this is the miracle of the Bible and uh, uh, um, there's a passage which I'm sure you've probably got in front of you about um, how God stewards his word and he looks after it and and he is the one that makes sure it survives and it lasts. And I see that in history. Like it's absolutely true. Like it is a, it is a remarkable book. What do you reckon?
1: I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. And I think um, the fact that this book tells one unified story um, and it was written by that many people over that extent of time, is, is exactly that, is a miracle in and of itself. It points to one person very directly in all of these different ways, um, and, uh, and it makes perfect sense. It's unbelievable. I think um, the Bible is not a book that was made to be skimmed through. The Bible is not a book that was made to be admired from a distance or to gather dust on your bookshelf. It's a book that we are called in the Old and the New Testament to study, to meditate on, to grab a pen and paper and a notepad or the app or whatever, and actually dig into it. Um, One of the verses that I love is in uh, in Proverbs. I I don't actually have it in front of me, but it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, to, to hide something. And it's the glory of kings to dig up that matter. It's the glory of kings to find. It's like God playing hide and seek with his kids. Basically, and he's saying, Hey, it's my glory to hide this, and it's your glory to discover it. And I've hid it there for you to enjoy, to bring out. And it's this beautiful picture of how God deals with us in his word. And I think you can read it, especially those things that we call um, discrepancies. Sure, they might not sound the same in both versions or in both chapters or in both whatever. uh, But when you dig into them, you will find that there's no contradictions. I think it's one thing to say there's a discrepancy but it's not a contradiction. And the only way you'll figure that out is by actually studying and digging in. So God is God and you are the King who he's appointed to dig through his word. So go on that Easter egg hunt and dig. Um, And you'll, you'll find incredible things because God's word is a reflection of God himself. Um, That is a wonderful thing to dive into.
0: And there's no, just want to add one more thing. There's no conspiracy um, to these discrepancies. Um, In fact, uh, your Bible, if you pick up your Bible and you go to one of these areas that are described as a discrepancy um, or, you know, whatever, there's usually a footnote about it. There's usually a point where it says, you know, uh, in this text it says this and this text it says whatever. And then it, there's usually a section where it'll be blocked off and they'll say something like, this was not in the original text or whatever, but, you know, we've included. So, it's, there's no conspiracy. There's no cover-up. There's no like the the people who study the Bible, the people who translate the Bible. Um, they're like a part of their work is to illuminate these kinds of things so that you can study it in good faith and and with uh, with a heart that particularly if it's a if it's a honest and, and hungry heart, uh, you will kind of explore it to the end. And you'll what you'll tend to find um, is that. Yeah, there is very little. Uh, well, there's there's absolutely no contradiction in terms of the point that is is being made. Um, uh, and there, there's one example, Isaiah chapter fifty-three. They compared um, some of the manuscripts um, and they looked and they found that um, out of the whole of that chapter, Isaiah fifty-three, um, there was seven. Uh, letter, or I, I'm saying this off the top of my head, I've got to read it, but I'm pretty sure this is true, but you could look it up yourself. But seven letters that were uh, wrong and one additional word. Um, and uh, that word, if you look up Isaiah chapter 53, guess what you're going to find? There's a footnote that tells you exactly that. Um, and guess what? That The absence or the presence of that word does not change a thing about what that passage is telling you. Mm. So um, so that's a little microcosm, I think, of what what people tend to talk about when it comes to discrepancies in the bible and um yeah i i have yet found anything that's seriously waived my faith or
1: um, yeah challenged me. yeah and i actually think while we're on this top just because i actually think this is a really important they're all important but this one is um like the bible doesn't sugarcoat anything guys like if you if you've if you've read through it you're going to see you know um the best of humanity and the best of, um, you know, just the the wonderful way that God deals with us and the absolute worst of humanity in violence and warfare and slavery. And like, it doesn't shy away from any of these things and any of the, um, like the heroes that you see in the Bible, they're all messed up. And the Bible doesn't shy away from that either. It tells you all their mistakes and it lays them bare before you and everybody else who's read it. Like it's, it's not, um, This cover-up—it's not a fairy tale story um, that doesn't reveal to you what the reality of it is. God's word is truth, and truth isn't always pretty. Truth is just what it is. It's confronting. It stands in front of you, and you go, "Whoa, you know, what do I do with that?" And that's what the truth is. And so, it's—it's a book that is full of that. But a a couple of other evidences I would also say is what it does to people who have read it. Um, It's just a man-made book. I'd enjoy it, put on the shelf, and never think about it again. But it's a book that's changed my life, Dave's life, and billions of other people's lives. What do you explain that with? That all these people who have never met each other, some of them have never spoken to each other, have had the same reaction to the same person who they all claim to have met. What are you supposed to do with that? Let alone the fact that the Bible prophesies all of these things. It speaks about things that happen after some of its parts were written and all of those things that it's written so far have actually taken place and have been historically documented. There is no other book in history that has any anywhere near amount of uh, evidence for its accuracy as the Bible does, which by the way, the Bible is still the number one best-selling book on earth, and it has been for some time. Um, so even Harry Potter did not take its place, Lord of the Rings, anything written by C.S. Lewis, the Bible is the Bible, um, and it is that for a reason. So out of all of that wonderful talk, just make sure that you read it. That's, that's, that's the only thing and judge for yourself. Just make sure that you read it.
0: Yeah. Well, we, we should probably wrap up um, because we've been going for probably about 40 or something minutes, Uh, but maybe we'll finish with one more question. um, Just for the sake of like, you know, uploading this and all that kind of stuff. We can continue this afterwards if you guys are keen, but we'll, we'll maybe just tackle one more question and then, uh, and then we'll, wrap it up and, and see what you guys wanna do afterwards. Yeah. So, Shads, um, we, got a, we got a question submitted uh, on the Google document um, that uh, asked, is it wrong to feel disappointed in God? And I'm guessing what that person might be indicating is, is it wrong to maybe you know, be hurt by God or to feel like God didn't come through in, in a certain way? Um, what do you reckon?
1: Um, wow, what a question first of all, and I think that's a really honest question and it deserves a really honest answer. Um, I went through a, a a period of my life where I just questioned everything about my faith and where I doubted whether God was real or not and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I remember I was speaking to my cousin who is in, in Egypt and I was here and um, I was telling her how I felt and I was, you know, I was... I was hurt by this. I was scared by this. I didn't. I didn't know what to believe, and I didn't know what it meant for me, and I was confused, and I was just a mess um, at that time. Um, and she said, "Have you told God that?" And I said, "No, not really. I don't think I've, I've prayed that way." And she's like, "Well, you know that He knows, and you know that He loves you, and you know that He sees." Your prayer before you pray it. He knows what's on your mind. He can see into your heart the things that you can't even articulate, the things that you can't even bring yourself to say. He already sees it. So why are you trying to sugarcoat your prayers? Why are you trying to dress them up for God when he can already see what's underneath them and he wants the genuine cry of your heart? Um, And that changed the way that I pray since then. um, I have been honest in my prayers, in whatever prayers I've prayed, they've been honest. I, I can't, when I re- realize that God knows exactly how I feel and exactly what I'm thinking and exactly what I'm feeling towards myself, him, the world, everything, um, there's no point in, in putting my hands together and pretending to, uh, to make it something it's not. But what I do recognize is who God is while I'm praying, um, is that God is still who he is in spite of how I feel. Um, so even if I feel you know angry, hurt, discouraged, whatever, I say all of those things, but I bring them to God and I say, Lord, I, this is how I feel, but I know that you are you. I know that you are um, I know that you are God, I know that you are good and right, and you see things that I don't. Um, and so please help me to trust you in this time. please help me to see it your way, please take this weight off me um, so that I can, um, I can you know be where I want where you want me to be in this moment and you get uh, all of the psalms or most of the psalms are David crying um, David just being like you know my soul is afflicted or I've drenched my couch with tears or you know my heart is heavy within me or whatever and these are all songs to God like the the, the God. Gun- is not hiding how he feels at all this is a warrior this is a you know a person who is a leader and a king and admired by thousands and whatever he's not shying away at all from how he feels before God and there's this one particular psalm written by a guy named Asaph um, and, uh, and, and he, he says this at the start he says I cried out to God for help I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress." I looked for the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands. Can you hear like the desperation? And I would not be comforted. And then um, he says this in verse seven, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he, has he Is he angry and he withheld compassion? It's like all these doubts that are in him. He doesn't hide them. He just says them to God. Um, and then the next little bit is he says, then I thought to this, I will appeal. The years when the most high stretched out his right hand, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I'll consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. And he's like, hey, I'm going to remember who God actually is. That God is the person who saves and who is good and who is, you know. So no, don't, don't shy away. Don't pray dishonestly. Um, say how you feel, but remember who God is as you're saying it. And remember that this, this is something that will pass um, and that God will stay who he is and will win you through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, literally the book of Psalms, the book of lamentations, these are, these are, these are Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, these are moments in the Bible and, uh, and opportunities where God says to us, yeah, like be real with me. Like, Don't put on a front, don't act, don't, like if you, if and the book of Job, you know, like be real. Um, And uh, God gives dignity to human uh, anguish and questioning and wrestling with God about issues that are really important to you and and God wants that. Um, uh, Jesus himself talks about uh, make your requests known uh, to the Father um, because he already knows yeah. what you want. It's by him, to Jesus, that's not, a, that's not like a paradox. It's not like, oh, God already knows what you need or what you want or what, what's troubling you and therefore shut up about it and like suck it up or, or just have more faith. No, no, it's because he knows what you want and what, what's bothering you. It's precisely that reason why you shouldn't be afraid to just speak it out. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a relationship. Because it's supposed to be a, a a tug of war. But at the same time, you, yeah, we we can't despair. Why? Because the same God who hears me and the same God who's who's actively listening, who wants to listen, He's doing that because He wants to also engage mm-hmm. and interact and input into my life and to bring about good where 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 destruction seems to be. So that's the that's the both the challenge of 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 uh, Christianity, but it's also the invitation, um, which is that, you know, as hard times come, uh, dig deep with God, like wrestle with him about it. And God wants to engage with us about it. So, yeah, I think it's a really powerful aspect of who God is and, and powerful aspect of what Christianity kind of says about itself. And I think it's a unique aspect as well. Yeah. Um,
1: I'd just say one last thing, which is um, that whatever you feel, God feels it infinitely more than you. So this, you know, um, Jesus coming to Lazarus too is like the best way to think about this kind of thing where like, you know, his sisters were weeping and they were like, Lord, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And you can just hear their anguish and their heartbreak. And when Jesus, even though he knows that like two minutes from now, He's going to raise Lazarus. All of these people are going to rejoice and his sisters are going to run to him and take him in you know, a hug and all this kind of stuff. As soon as he comes on the scene, he breaks down and weeps. Like he sees the pain he sees the brokenness and it makes him weep. Like, so this, this idea that when you come to God with your hurt, he's not like this aloof person who just sits there being like, Hey, you know, you know suck it up kind of thing, like toughen up a little bit. It's going to be Okay. Um, no, like he feels it, he's in it with us. And he experienced depths of pain that we can't imagine, um, so that he could be there for us to comfort us because he knows what it's like, um, in Christ. And that's, that's an incredibly comforting thing to me personally. Yeah.
0: I think, um, for the sake of like YouTube and uploading this, we're, we're going to kind of sign off here, but, um, we've been asked to continue by a bunch of other people Um, And so we will do that for those who are with us right now. But otherwise, thanks Shads. Thanks for talking and and, uh, yeah. Um, Any parting final words before we kind of cut it off for YouTube?
1: Um, No, I I think if you have questions, just know that um, God doesn't shy away from your questions. God isn't scared of your questions and you shouldn't be scared of your questions either. There are answers to most questions Um, And I think that you shouldn't be scared to pursue them, but pursue them with people that you trust, Um, pursue them with people who um, know God and and love him and who can help point you in the right direction. You're not alone in your questions. Don't let them drive you into this dark corner where you don't trust God and you you feel like walking away. Um, No, press into God in your time of questioning and you'll find him there. He's the truth. So if you pull on that string long enough, you're going to reach God. Um, so don't, don't despair in your questions. Keep asking them, keep pressing in during this time.